0: Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Okay, we got Lindsay and Jake Taylor, the pride
1: of Folsom, California. (laughs) Folsom's power couple. Um, finally got you guys, your, your, busy schedules align. We're home from Ireland, both recovered from jet lag uh-huh. and we're going to talk keto and how this, uh, transformation has occurred within uh, both of your guys and the kind of the disparate approaches you took and what the results have been. But first what happened there in Ireland? How far did you run or travel in like a week, a hundred miles on
2: trails?
3: Yeah. So let's see, I did, uh, about 120 miles total <laughs> in seven days.
2: I did the short course, which was only 95, 95, five. 95 only miles and 60. Yeah. Oh my goodness.
3: Yeah, it was crazy.
1: And was it a hundred percent entirely fueled by fat, or did you have a little Irish uh, puff cakes in there, or what? Uh,
3: puff cakes, no. Potatoes, <laughs> yes. Oh yes, so. the
1: potatoes. You got to have those. <laughs> Even Robert Hogan takes potatoes after a speed goal.
3: But really, I mean, I would say that in terms of like primal eating low carb, high fat. If you don't count the potatoes, we were pretty good, really. I mean, it was actually not that hard. I mean, there was a lot of eggs and, you know, vegetables for breakfast. Um, We brought some of our own fuel for the run. So I did mostly nut butter and beef jerky and trail mix. And then, um, I mean, I was running, you know, a a minimum 15 miles most days. So (sighs) I ate a banana every day, which right. I, I eat like.
2: a lot of oranges. <laughs> <laughs> they were good. <laughs> the oranges I mean, were good. You know, they just tasted really good. Minimal, well,
1: so cal- yeah. min- minimal carbohydrate calories. But when we're putting out that kind of effort, yeah, we're, exactly. we're going to talk about this in other right. videos too, like that personal variation of what the ideal uh, macronutrient intake, especially that carb level, which is so frequently debated. Uh-huh. And some people are saying dogmatically like, oh, you have to stay under this level and other people are reporting user experience. And then obviously going a week in Ireland covering 100 miles is a little different than a week at home when you're really busy at work and you're sitting on your butt all day, probably not the same need. Same with the time of year and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, totally. I mean, I was very conscious of the fact that I was trying to balance you know, healthy eating and maintaining my body from that perspective, but then also the fact that every day I was despite the distance, I was asking a little bit more, right? There's like a cumulative stress and a cumulative fatigue factor. How and so, so? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Oh,
1: because you, you got to get up your butt every single day and run 15 day. miles. And plus a, drinking Guinness at night. Plus drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying up late. Yeah. High, jet high, I,
3: right. High iron Guinness. And then also just the fact that, you know, our sleep was disrupted just by virtue of the fact that we were in hotels. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, every day I felt like, I wanted to be conscious of the fact that there was a little bit more stress on my body than there was the day before, even if I had been performing the exact same distance or you know elevation or whatever. So I, as the week went on, I was a little bit more forgiving about things like carbs and um, trying not to. I was less concerned about like, oh, don't eat those potatoes or they did have some lemon cake that I avoided at the beginning of the week, <laughs> but may have had on the 50K day, which was day five. We ran the 50K. So it's like, OK, I mean, is that keto, no, is one slice of lemon cake in the middle of a 50K after 87 miles of running or whatever it was, you know, gonna
2: tell me I feel me? like no. your muscles probably soak that glycogen up with that. <laughs> I mean, right, right. I mean, that's- um, I mean,
3: that's just science. <laughs> yeah.
2: Kate Shanahan's saying that in, in
1: the, 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 the book too, that if those glycogen suitcases are open, the effect of those carbohydrates are so different. Right. And uh, both Peter T and Kate made this point that like, Carbohydrates are only offensive when they disturb homeostasis with a insulin surge that causes hormonal dysregulation and appetite uh, and fats, fat fat metabolism uh, compromised because you're high insulin, high inflammation from that insulin surge. So if you're having some lemon cake after running uh, this many miles the previous days and running a 50 K it's, it's night and day difference. And it's probably not only did it not hurt you, it's probably darn good idea to make sure that you get up the next day. And you're, you're restocked and you're enjoying yourself on your trip and getting away from that orthorexic mentality where you're counting your calories and your miles and hoping that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I do, I did make a big point going into it of, I did a pretty strict keto period before we left for Ireland. Uh Um, just because I, again, like conscientious about the stress I was going to be putting my body under and knowing that my diet was, I was not gonna be able to control the things I was eating as much, um, for, you know, three weeks going into it, I was counting my macros and being very strict and keeping it in a keto range. What
1: about this guy? Cause you know, he wasn't prepared for the hundred miles.
3: No. And he did great, but that's was because he-, he kind of always eats like this. He's, uh-huh. I mean, we'll talk about this during the video probably, but I'm more of a counter and he's more of an intuitor.
2: So, well, that was what I felt like is I, I tried, I trained pretty well. I felt like for it. And then when I'm in the middle of the race, kind of bets are off. At that point, whatever I I listen to my body more, what sounds good, and
1: Um, I would suppose that when you're when you're immersed in these, I mean, this is a multi-day effort, but even on a single 50k effort, Mm -hmm. you probably have a good intuitive sense of whether you need to boost that blood sugar with the sugar bomb, or whether you're okay, or whether Coke is the winner right now at this moment, and all those kind of things I think are heightened. Uh, outside of, you know, everyday life when you're on a lazy afternoon at work and you're feeling droopy and you think you need something when you're, when you're performing. Oh boy. I mean, you better hear, you better hit that message if it's telling you, Hey, why don't you, why don't you pick up the caloric intake a little bit?
3: Yeah. And I do think, I mean, just strategically, whenever I do any kind of endurance things, whether it's a single day or multi-day like this, my strategy is always kind of keep it dialed in at the beginning and then loosen the reins as I go. (laughs) Right. So it's like set myself up at the beginning so, you know, eat well at the beginning, you know, at the for the first 20K, make sure I'm fueling according to a, a strategy pre-planned. But then as I get farther along, then I start to intuit more. So set myself up with a plan and then ride it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also good just from a mental, like an executive function perspective. You know, like if you're trying to control every aspect of it for eight hours or whatever it is, and then times six days. I think that you get really taxed. So if you can just kind of start with a plan and then be ready to, to kind of throw it out the window or at least um, have audible, the audible, exactly. Or, <laughs> or have the plan B, then I'll figure it out in the moment. That's fine. And I think that's a better strategy, at least for me. I don't think that the, the micromanaging the entire experience is a good plan for me. And then it also doesn't leave you flexible. If your body is telling you something in the moment, you know, I mean, I do think there's a real value of listening to your body and you can trust when your body says like this Coke would be really helpful right now at mile 44, as opposed to this Coke would be really helpful because I've been working for two entire hours and I'm getting droopy, you know?
2: I agree. One thing that I did have a hard time with was I tend to do most, almost all my training fasted, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. my runs. That's true. I like running fasted. Me too. But he likes running fast and running fast. <laughs> I
3: like running fasted, but slowly, but Slow and <laughs>
2: Um, but in this particular event, because it was so long, it was, it was actually the first time that I'd eaten breakfast in (laughs) a long time. Yeah. Yeah, Really long time. That's true. And because I was like, wow, I don't want to be out there starving all day. I feel like I should eat a little something before we start. Um, but I probably kind of wish I would have maybe not done that Uh a few, at least a few of the days and just see what would happen a little bit more of an experiment. But I also felt like, oh, I'm on vacation. I'm putting <laughs> vacation in air quotes here. But I'm on vacation. Can I eat breakfast? You know, is this well, we also vaca- fun while we're out here too?
3: <laughs> breakfast was like the only meal that was paid for on our trip. So it's like free Ooh, food, you know. It's like, <laughs> we still have college student mentality. You don't turn down free <laughs> food. So, you know. Um, but the other thing was, like, I mean, we were waking up at 7 in the morning. And then we weren't starting to run until 10 wow. on most days. And then the first aid station or feed station, as they call them, Um, the feed station wouldn't be for maybe two hours into it. So you're waking up at seven and then your first opportunity to eat, if you don't want to fuel with the food you brought is maybe 1230 in the afternoon and you've already run maybe a, you know, 10 K
2: and there's not enough food out there (laughs) to kind of supplement that Uh like going completely fasted and then eating a regular lunch or something. Right. And you're
3: running through lunch every day. So it's like, I mean, which is, again, I think, you know, totally, I feel like we could have easily done that being fat adapted for the first two days or three days even, Mm -hmm. but did I want to be then in a deficit on day five, which was the 50 K day, you know, and this is not the kind of thing that you can really just plan for in everyday life. Right. So I'm absolutely confident that with the way we generally eat and the way we train, we could have gone through two or three days of starting fasted eating, you know, starting to fuel two hours into it and finishing fine and then just eating a normal dinner and then starting again the next day. But then giant dinner, but would, you know, but days five and six were our favorite days. Would we have loved days five and six if we had done that? I don't know. I mean, I'd have to go back and try it again and do it empirically. But, um, but I think, I mean, we were still both really conscious of not blowing the the fat adaptation that we Uh worked so hard to achieve. Yeah, Um, Yeah. But I don't know. I guess we'll have to go back to Ireland and try it again.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, when we use this term "fat adapted" or, or "metabolic efficiency," uh-huh. and that implies that, you know, I would put a bet down at, with the Irish bookies that you guys could fly over there and do the whole thing keto, uh-huh. including your 10-day buildup where you didn't eat any carbs. You flow uh-huh. over there, you do all the things, and you're just going in that, in that in that strict realm. But I think it's a good point to bring up that. You're on vacation. Right. You want to participate in the cultural experience of having that breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it's easing that psychological stress mm-hmm. from having to adhere to this thing. And um, you know, it's 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 something to reflect upon because you wanna you wanna enjoy yourself too. Um, neither of you want any prize money in the event <laughs> of gathering. <laughs> Not an issue. So, you know, in most it's cases also, it's because
3: know, one of us kept getting lost.
1: Uh, otherwise, oh, otherwise things would have been different.
3: (laughs) We probably would have won. (laughs) No, there were some actually really fast people on the trip, but, um, yeah. And I think that that is, you know, I do think that that's part of it is that, you know, the keto eating for health is a huge thing for us, but then, you know, if you're, if you've set yourself up to be healthy, then you don't have to rigidly adhere to that in every situation Uh all the time. Like, and it's the same thing with the going out to the pub at night, that was a big part of the overall experience, mm-hmm. you know, and
1: it
2: was on the so website and everything. It was people at yeah. the big giant yeah. dark beer. Yeah.
3: And so we wouldn't that was
2: part of why I felt like I needed to eat a little breakfast in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well if you've been kind of alcohol that up
1: with some food. <laughs>
2: well, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not much of a drinker in my normal day to day. So yeah. that was definitely kind of a fringe experience. So I felt like getting a little bit of regular healthy calories in there to counterbalance might, <laughs> might make the run a little easier. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh.
3: And it also, like, it interfered with our sleep a little bit and those kinds of things. So. Well, that and the
2: fact that you're so far north that oh, yeah. the sun it doesn't, doesn't go dark. down until 11 and it comes yeah. up at, like, 3.30 in the morning. So <sighs> And the bird starts so <laughs> early. Yeah. So really. There's only a very small sleeping window in the summertime there. So
3: Yeah, so all those things were kind of already adding to the... All the ways that our training and our running was not normal. And so then, you know, um, having, that's why I I made such a strong effort to go into it, you know, Mm. as kind of dialed in as possible. So that when I was there, when the wheels came off a little bit, I Mm -hmm. felt like, okay, this is not going to be as detrimental. And it, I
2: mean. The more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in (laughs) war, right? The more you sweat in peace, what? The less you bleed in war. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Fully prepared for everything. So,
3: yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and I don't know, like, is there, was there, is there a more optimal way to do it? Maybe. I mean, this was our first experience doing something like this, but I mean, we had a great time. We felt strong. We ran good for, ran good, ran well for six days and uh, had a great time, like really enjoyed ourselves. And both of us went into it a little nervous about how it was going to go. And so, I mean... Would it be fun to go out, you know, once a year and try this and tinker and whatever? Sure. But for our first experience, I think we did
2: a good job. I had fun. I had fun. No blisters. That was a definite win. And finished wow.
3: finished feeling good every day. Yeah. Yeah. So.
2: Right? right on. Jake
1: and Lindsay heading to Ireland for that <laughs> wild, wild experience. Uh never keto, especially I think the lifestyle things coming into it. I think that was an important point you made. And then you want to go bust loose. And in this case, it was this high performance athletic event, but like mm-hmm. I'm referencing my recent trip to Mexico mm-hmm. where I was all over the street, tacos and the homemade ice cream every single night mm-hmm. and eating these giant fruit cups. Cause it's hot and sunny and you're out surfing and, and playing around all day. And so I probably pounded, you know, four times as many carbohydrates as I consume in normal time, mm-hmm. but I felt fine. And I, I attribute a lot of that to the conditioning, the metabolic conditioning, where I can handle those hits possibly uh, on the strength of a 140-day keto experiment that I did earlier in the year before this trip. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if you don't get to that point where you're really burning clean and you're really fat adapted, uh, then I think you're possibly more subject to the negative effects of, let's say, carbohydrate binges or just trying to perform at maximum effort while you're jet lagged, you're not sleeping well, you're putting stuff in, and you never had that high level of metabolic conditioning to start with.
3: Yeah, I mean, I do think that just like with anything else, if you give yourself a high platform of health to jump off from, mm-hmm. then... It's like a base. Yeah, totally. It's like aerobic base. Exactly. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. So, I mean, I think that, you know, for us, we work really hard to be healthy in our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And so minor transgressions are not a big deal. I wouldn't recommend them, but if they're minor and they're infrequent... I'm not going to lose my mind. Never. I would recommend
1: them. <laughs> that was funny because I was just going to ask, I'm gonna ask you, like from that, from the from our, our resident shrink perspective, you know, going out there and kind of pushing the limits and busting loose and drinking that much beer uh-huh. and even, even running that far, yeah. Because maybe you're busy with kids. You got summer. You got this going on. You got that yeah. going on. You have in the back of your mind a lot of endurance athletes wish they could train more uh-huh. or uh, any any fitness enthusiasts, right? Yeah. Um, and so you know, you kind of like got your fill of all these different things, and maybe it's easier to just uh, settle back into uh, a more, a more, more defined routine because yeah. you push your limits once in a while.
3: I mean, I think so, but but I think there's probably a lot of individual differences in that. You know, some I mean, people just go off. The, <laughs> yeah, some people once they go off enjoy the rails, two beers they're... every night for the rest of the year since yeah. they love that Irish beer. I do think this is a good example of you have to know yourself. Uh huh. Um, So, I mean, we're both people who can kind of let loose and then rein it right back in. But I mean, certainly, you know, you do find this a lot with people when they talk about sugar consumption, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's a big difference in people who can have, you know, 4th of July, which we just had, right? And then you have your party and you have your whatever. And then the next day you're back on the wagon. And then there's the people who it's like they slipped up once and then they get either kind of physiologically, they just start to have these crazy cravings again, or psychologically they get into, you know, a shame spiral. And then they just, you know, they throw out the They're ashamed (laughs) of their
1: country because of the recent elections or, Oh, sorry. Um, No, no. They're ashamed of what they ate on 4th of July. Nothing wrong with 4th of July. No. So they, um, amateur fireworks blowing up on your street. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Here for sure. Um, but no, so they, you know, it's like they, see a transgression and they can't keep it in in perspective. And then they just, you know, they burn it all with fire and it's like, okay, well, you know, so I think this is a good situation to know yourself and to really take a a look at, you know, both physiologically and psychologically, am I the kind of person that needs to keep Mm. the parameters pretty tight? Or Mm -hmm. can I, you know, am I a person who can jump off the wagon and hop back on and jump off and hop back on? And,
1: um, we also see, um, kind of this category of people who are, possibly overly tight, overly tightly wound. And then, um, you know, they, they've never dream of doing something like, like doing this because that's farther than they usually run. Um, it's more than they usually drink. There's not enough light there. There's too much light there to get their normal sleep. And so what, you know, what kind of, what kind of, I mean, and you've, you've dealt with these people so frequently with yeah. interacting as a coach and, um, you know, where, where are they um, possibly missing the boat in terms of keeping everything so tight that there might be some negative repercussions?
3: Yeah, I mean, I do think, you know, this is kind of related to the issue of orthorexia, right? Which is the idea that there's kind of one right way to do things. And you get obsessed with the the pros and cons or the positive and negatives or the health benefits and health detriments. And so when you try to keep these things, you know, super um, controlled, you know, when you have this kind of need for control in all areas of your life, right, then... Um, on the one hand, that provides some degree of kind of psychological wellness, right? This kind of perceived control. But on the other hand, you
1: let's edit that out and start (laughs) over. I need to control. Oh, sorry. I was just
3: kidding. (laughs) So, but then you gotcha, didn't I? On the other hand, you lose the kind of flexibility that also then leads to your ability to have these kind of new experiences. Right. So, I mean, it's important to keep in mind that there's just no one right path in any situation. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, and that, we aren't really as humans good at predicting how situations are going to go or how your behavior is going to affect the future or how your present behavior is going to affect your future emotions. Like, so, I mean, this kind of idea that we can control and predict things in the future is really misguided. Love it. Yeah.
2: Go with the flow guys. I like the saying that I've heard before that the, the quality of your life will be directly proportional to the amount of uncertainty that you can withstand. Wow. So if you think about the extreme opposite where you have to have control over everything, Stress. it's not, it's a stressful life. I think it's not. Disappointment too. It. Exactly. Because you're not going to get what you want all the time. Right. Because I love we're, that. We're such
3: bad predictors. Will you say
2: that quote again? The quality the of your life is directly proportional to the amount of uncertainty that you can withstand. Let's get graphics for that. It's, it's not mine. It's Tony Robbins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, It's almost always Tony Tony
3: Robbins, so. Often. Thumbs
1: up. Thumbs up. Jake and Lindsay getting into our heads. Those are final closing thoughts. Love to reflect on that. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks, Brad.
0: Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of Primal Health Coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching, but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace the world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis the world needs you are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted experienced and knowledgeable health coaches To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit primalhealthcoach.com and subscribe.